Hi, everyone. I'm Karen Karitzer, CEO of the ARC and Ida Lewis. And together with Heather Evans, our Vice President of Development, we host the ARC Waves podcast. ARC Waves shares best practices and habits of diverse performers and leaders. These inspiring leaders are from all stages of the leadership wheel, from seasoned CEOs to emerging leaders, risk takers and innovators, for-profit and not-for-profit. Our guests are trailblazers, serving as beacons for those striving to be outstanding leaders in the disabilities field and beyond. People with disabilities in New York State have an astounding 67% unemployment rate, and some believe this percentage to be even higher. Yet, those who are employed report high job satisfaction, lower rates of absenteeism and job turnover, and a sense of belonging and purpose. So why don't more businesses employ the disabled? What are the barriers, and what is being done to increase employment opportunities for New Yorkers with disabilities? In this podcast, we talk with Maureen O'Brien, President and CEO of the New York State Industries for the Disabled, also known as NYSID, to find out how we can improve employment options for the disabled in our communities, and why diverse leadership is important to our field and so many others. Hi, Maureen. Thank you so much, and uh, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So um, we thought we would start with um, you telling us, our listeners, about NYSID, Preferred Source, and your role, and how do you work with provider agencies in your mission, such as uh, us at the Arcanida Lewis? Sure. So NYSID, New York State Industries for the Disabled, is designated as the um, entity that manages the preferred source program for individuals with disabilities. What that means in plain spoken English is that Uh, there are um, uh, all of the provider agencies like ARC Oneida Lewis. There's about 130 of you guys uh, like agencies around the state that do vocational training and employment services. And in some cases, you have employment services right on site or ones that you're associated with. Um, my job through Preferred Source is to secure government contracts for those agencies so they can continue to have uh, individuals with disabilities trained and employed. So at Arco Nile Lewis, uh, your organization does a bunch of work with cleaning supplies. Um, and uh, those supplies that you package and produce, we sell through the NYSID catalog to government agencies on your behalf. How, how long has Preferred Source been around and, and why? I'm sorry if I missed that. Yeah, so Preferred Source has been around for about 45 years. The enabling legislation that allowed us to uh, start NYSID uh, happened in 1975. It was shortly after the closure of Willowbrook. And when the disability services, uh, I guess I would say industry, Um, came to the conclusion that people were no longer going to be institutionalized, but they would live in the community, and that access to employment was a huge part of what their success would be living in community. So they changed how uh, they added this program in procurement in the hopes that disability service providers would be able to garner contracts and get people to work. Maureen, this is Heather, and thanks again for coming on. fascinated so far and curious too 
after Willowbrook, a lot really changed. But how long did you think, um, taking that historical look back, it really took for NYSA to take hold? I mean, it's it's grown into such a, a massive and powerful organization, contributing so much uh, to the state and to people with disabilities. But, you know, starting in 1975, what was that growth rate like? So we were a relatively small organization throughout, I think, the first kind of 30 years. And in the last 15 years, things changed rapidly. Um, Many of the service providers, the disability service providers that are members of NYSID, really perfected um, what they were able to do in the service industry. So janitorial work, document imaging work, data entry work. And we were able to, to grow jobs in service sector industries as uh, sheltered workshops closed. Mm-hmm. I think in the last three years since I've been here, we've really pivoted the focus not just on job creation, but also on advocacy um, and really bringing greater awareness uh, to the issues that surround creating jobs for individuals with disabilities. I feel like in the last three years, we've made huge strides in becoming an organization that really serves the people. Um, that we're uh, uh, in our mission we're supposed to be serving and doing the work that we're supposed to be doing with the member agencies. So that, that segues segue nice into uh, my next question because, you know, it's, it's alarming to me and how the, the percentage um, of unemployment rate for, for New Yorkers with disabilities at 67%, you know, we, we mentioned in the beginning, some have said it's even up to 85%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and yet we have providers like us at the Arkanai Lewis, we have you, we have so many people who are out there really trying to educate others about the barriers or about the options and have been doing so for a long time. We happen to be a provider here that's the largest uh, support employment provider here in our area. So we have a great relationship with many businesses. But we often find uh, people that may need more education or awareness yeah. of, you know, of, of what benefits there are to, to the businesses. So um, let me ask you this next question. What are the specific barriers to engaging more businesses to hire people with disabilities? And what can we do to make a sustainable change to improve options? So one of the things we've been doing a lot at NYSID with private businesses is not talking as much about hiring individuals with disabilities and putting them on private business payrolls, but in diversifying their supply chains with individuals with disabilities. That's fantastic. So, So many private businesses, they can't really get their arms completely around job coaching. Um, Sometimes, uh, uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming to a small business to have someone on site with a developmental or intellectual disability that they may not be experts in helping that person to succeed. The member agencies of NYSID are experts in helping that person succeed. And when a private business says, um, you know, I'll use Albany Medical Center here in Albany as an example, they're a NYSID customer. They've made a commitment that a percentage of their supply chain dollars are going to be diversified for individuals with disabilities, and they are contracting with us for services. So the onus is on us and the member agencies of NYSID to provide the supports to help the individuals that we train and work with to be successful on the job and for us to provide a fantastic service to a private sector company. Absolutely. Um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
So I think that that's just a really good kind of different way to look at it. And then I think that's how we create the sea change because then our folks are in a private sector business. They're seeing how um, amenable, you know, someone who has had a barrier to employment is generally happier on the job, stays longer on the job, engages with people better on the job. Mm -hmm. So I think private businesses then begin to realize that benefit. And my hope is, you know, that we're able to really grow the supply chain diversity aspect of what we're working on. I like that the businesses are, um, are really engaging and, and getting on board because I think they can be significant champions um, and ambassadors, you know, really. They for can change. be significant champions and ambassadors, and it's also good for them because there isn't a business left in America in this day and age that doesn't have a social responsibility goal. Correct. So, you know, they have to issue an annual report. They have to talk about how they are reflective of the communities in which they live. And so we help them uh, reach their social responsibility goals, and we make that easy for them by contracting with us. You know, that's, that's such a great uh, point that you hammer home there, too. It's with this um, emphasis on diversity and inclusion uh, protocols and policies with every company, this is another fantastic way to be an inclusive and diverse employer. Um, and, it, and it can be in a variety of ways. Um, whether it's services or products, um, purchasing through, you know, a, a consortium like NYSET is a, is a great way to make that impact. Yeah, and I think the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion dialogue in New York, um, it's always been an interesting one to me because I feel like individuals with disabilities haven't always been at the forefront of that discussion. Um, I am hopeful mm -hmm. with the change in administration that's occurred in New York, um, that we have a governor in place that understands that that uh, equation of diversity, equity, inclusion includes the population of people that we jointly serve. The the voices of so many that I heard at the recent test or at the recent testimony for the hearing, um, I guess New York State Assembly public hearing on employment for people with disabilities, in which you also provided great testimony, but also really staggering statistics on the impact of joblessness on on those with disabilities. Um, and the impact on our economy. Um, I think it was like a 10-hour, maybe 10 hours that whole public hearing Marathon. was. There was 65 um, people. Honestly, I listened to all of them, you know, because yeah. the perspectives are many, but at the end of the day, there's still that thread of we need options here, and we need to yeah. work together, and, um, and the impact of joblessness is is significant. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, um, which you provide with, you know, the statistics and, and the impact. Yeah, the statistics are staggering. And um, I often say, you know, if this was any other population, so imagine if women were unemployed at this rate or, um, you know, a minority population was unemployed at this rate, I think we would be talking about it in much more in a much more vociferous way than we are now um and so one of the things about the hearing that i thought was really spectacular is the number of people who wanted to talk about it that's right um yeah because it made the assembly committee realize okay this is a long-seated long-term problem that we have to address kind of a show this, of force so to speak yeah <laughs> It was. It was totally a show of force. And it was everybody. It was the intellectual and developmentally disabled community. It was the physically disabled community. It was all of the different 
uh, groups that we work with. But, but in essence, you know, a job means economic security. And if you don't have a job, you don't have economic security. And the statistics are uh, a 67% unemployment rate if you're disabled in New York. We rank 42nd in the country for providing um, uh, options and um, to those who are disabled for employment. If you are an individual with a disability in New York State, you are two times more likely to live in poverty, Mm. two times more likely to suffer food insecurity, and uh, three times more likely to be homeless and or the victim of uh, violent crime. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, Those statistics were all part of, we commissioned a study in 2019 with the Rockefeller Institute of Government at looking at what was the benefit to creating uh, sustainable jobs for individuals with disabilities. And not only were we able to change some of those statistics when employment came about, but there was also significant savings to safety net and social programs, um, SSDI, SNAP, a variety of ones that that individuals with disabilities utilize when they cannot be employed. Mm-hmm. You know, Maureen, that Rockefeller Institute I've study, I've read it uh, multiple times. I was first introduced to it, actually, by uh, one of your nice at em- private sector employees and found it so fascinating and particularly um, enjoyed the detail about the, imp- uh, excuse me, the impact on the tax rolls. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of these employees with disabilities have never contributed uh, by paying taxes previously because they were not employed. So creating those employment opportunities is not only uh, powerfully impactful for those people with disabilities, but is extremely impactful on a state and federal level for the entire community. You're correct. Um, it also does many individuals who work on NICID contracts, on preferred source contracts, you are correct when you mentioned it, it can be first-time employment. Um, I believe the supply chain diversity push that we're doing is equally as important because once someone comes in on a preferred source contract and they're trained and they're working, they have the ability to work on commercial contracts if we're successful in getting those. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's the, the preferred source contracts and what we do through state and local government are vital to getting the training to individuals with disabilities on the job so they can move to the next job. Great. Um, a couple of the things that you had mentioned also at the testimony was you gave um, three, I think, pretty significant, if not more, um, ideas for how we could make change. One of them was follow the law. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, another one was uh, really having a round table. And I believe a third was really having people with disabilities at the table and to hear their voices and their um, experiences um, and being able to be part of the solutions. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, so let me start with the third one first, just because I think, you know, having talked about the diversity, equity, and inclusion push that we discussed previously, um, we just don't do, we have to work harder and do a better job of making sure we think about individuals with disabilities first. And I think the pandemic um, really showed us that not just as a country, but as a state, we don't. Uh, we don't do that very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you think about, you know, the closures of schools and what happened um, with the lockdowns of group homes, you know, there were, um, it was an afterthought. 
you know, and then when people raised their hand and said, I haven't seen my adult child in two and a half months, um, I have not been able to uh, go to day services in seven months. Right. I've not been able, you know, I'm a child with a disability who cannot log into school uh, and do this remotely. So, so I think, you know, we learned all of this after the fact, and, and it's time that that just has to stop. We're too far along in the diversity, equity, and inclusion world to figure out these problems after the fact. Absolutely. We have to be first. So, yeah, heart- we just- so heartbreaking to hear those stories. And I just think, you know, as you're talking that um, there, it's been this way for a while, you know, yeah. even before the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic certainly showed a spotlight on it, but we really have been an afterthought and sort Correct. of, you know, marginalized for a very long time. And I, I would say that really um, after the closure of Willowbrook and deinstitutionalization, when we really were looking at more independent solutions, you know, people living in the community, I don't think we've seen the same attention to greater working together, independence for the mm-hmm. same goal. I mean, we certainly at different times have had programs that have focused on on that. I don't know, though, if it's really about um, pers- as person-centered as it should be and really including the people's um, interest and, and their voice and what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I do agree yeah. that the pandemic shown the spotlight, but I think there's a lot more that we need to do. There's a lot more we need to do, and, and we also have to stop divesting into the infrastructure that serves this population of people. So closure of Willowbrook happened. There was an investment into mm-hmm. how do we make these changes, and then that stopped for a period of time. There's not been increases in Medicaid reimbursement rates. There have not been COLAs. There's not been a lot of things over mm-hmm. a period of time that allows us to continue to have services that are person-centered. And by continuing to cut the way that funding has been cut, you move back to an institutionalization model, which we can't let happen. Right. I, I completely agree. You know, what also is um, underscored in that show of force with that testimony of so many people is the need for that continued advocacy uh, mm-hmm. You used the word before the vociferousness that's so important, and it, and it starts with uh, leaders like yourself, and it, it trickles all the way down to you know the people that are DSPs and beyond and community members. I mean, throughout the pandemic, that spotlight highlighted a lot of essential workers, and we can't forget right. the disabled workforce that was continuing to provide services uh, mm-hmm. to make the subways safe and right. make other public necessities mm-hmm. uh, safe and clean and sanitary. Um, so I have to say, you know, the advocacy is is incredible, and thank you for taking the time to do that. I'm sure that that was uh, quite uh, quite a marathon that day. Um, <laughs> it was a marathon, but it was well worth, worth it. it. And I Absolutely. think, yeah, and yeah. I think that's one of the changes at NYSID that I'm most pleased with with my senior staff and and the board of directors here is that push to the advocacy side. I think for years NYSID was this organization that processed contracts and made sure that those contracts were uh, engaged in. But I think there's a whole other uh, educational side that we can do that would help us with both the supply chain diversity and the advocacy of individuals over the long haul. Absolutely. You know, Maureen, as a woman, um, I'm impressed uh, by you as being the first uh, female president and CEO of NYSID. Um, You have an incredible work history, a lot of um, 
diverse uh, skill sets, including, you know, different political um, and contract negotiations and things like that. Um, you know, I have to ask, given that our workforce is, you know, more female than male in the disabilities field, um, do you think that we're starting to see more room for advancement for women and more diverse leaders as well? So I think we are. Um, I think women lead differently. Um, and I'm sure both of you uh, do this in the organization that you're <laughs> in. Um, you know, I've often found women leaders, and it's, and it's a mantra that I have, it's called authentic leadership. Mm. Um, I don't think you're any different at work than you are in every other place that you're in. And I think if you take that same approach with the people that you work with um, and the organizations that you engage with, you have the ability to do more. Um, you know, I have here in my organization with the majority of the people who work here are women. Um, I also find, you know, we're, we're fast at getting to what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. So as I'm sure you both have the same thing, there are a ton of responsibilities women have both in and outside the office. And so we kind of get to the matter a little bit faster because we have to. Um, you know, you got to pick somebody up at school. You have to figure out how to get dinner. You have to do a whole bunch of different things throughout the course of the day. Right. Um, I think the world's become a bit more flexible, which is really helpful uh, for women leaders. Um, and, you know, we've seen that same flexibility here. Uh, I don't know how many people did this with schools closed uh, through the pandemic and Heather, Heather and I suffered through yeah. <laughs> both having kids in school. <laughs> it was a great yeah. experience, Maureen. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm not sure. I mean, we have four uh, children. And um, at one point in time, two are in college, two are in high school. And the two from college got sent home. Yeah. Oh, geez. So um, we were essential at NYSED. So I went into the right. office every day. My husband did not. And my husband joked with me, like, I don't know who got the better deal here. You going to work every day or me home with the four boys. Right, exactly. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I also was uh, definitely, um, every time I went to the grocery store, I do think people thought I was hoarding. And um, I had to tell them this is just, you know, a three-day supply. I have five men in my house. It's just a three-day supply. That, that's what I feel like, too. Oh, mm -hmm. my gosh. That's mm -hmm. so funny. I have five. So between <laughs> us all, it is hard to keep track of. Uh, and it is. We go through a lot of milk and bread. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we ate a lot of bread. Right. Yeah. Definitely yeah. bread and pasta. Y you know, that, that point about the authentic leadership, I just have to highlight because, you know, as I shared with you when we talked before our interview, I'm impressed by uh, your your social media presence, particularly on LinkedIn. And a lot of it isn't things that you're posting, but it's people posting about you, uh, highlighting your dedication to your community and highlighting the dedication that the NYSED employees have to the communities in which they work. Yes. And I think I that that too. really is a mm -hmm. perfect example of that authentic leadership of really leading by example and um, the appreciation that your employees have for being able to see that in real time. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have found that, you know, people are happiest, um, particularly the staff here at NYSED, when they're engaged in their communities and they're creating change. Mm -hmm. So you feel empowered when you're able to go out and make a difference. Um, one of the things I said very early on when I came here was, 
you know, when we do volunteer work, you don't have to take personal or vacation time. If you want to sit on a board, you don't have to take personal or vacation time. Like it is incredibly important for us to use the skills we have to further our communities in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, you know, the whole vaccine thing, I guess I would just call it a thing because it's still <laughs> ongoing, but um, the whole vaccine effort and, and what we did at NYSID, I mean, that's not part of our core responsibilities. Um, and, you know, we took on a few different things during the pandemic just because individuals with disabilities were so adversely impacted by the pandemic. But the, you know, being able to participate here in the capital region in a program where thousands of individuals with disabilities and their caregivers who would have had barriers to access to the vaccine that we were able to ensure that they got it. You know, it, it, it took a really difficult period of time and made it a little bit feel good at mm -hmm. the end. And I think you see that from a morale standpoint with the people that you work with, if they can be engaged in something like that. So I'm very proud of the staff that I have here. Um, I'm very proud of how they have embraced that type of community effort. Um, and I think it's good for everybody. I think, you know, one of the comments that we've made, Heather and I before, and in other interviews on podcasts was, you know, during crisis, you get to see, especially in human services, people really stepping up and helping each other out. You know, there's no, there's no boundaries. There's no, you know, mm -hmm. um, silos. There's just people trying to help each other. Right. And um, you really start to hear those stories and they're shared. And then, um, it, it, to me, that becomes such um, a catalyst for recognizing more and more how we work together, advocating together, uh -huh. addressing and really looking at the issues and, you know, under the microscope more of barriers and options like we are Correct. with employment. So I do think that um, we are starting to see that coming out of the pandemic, we're all like, hey, you know, we really work together through a very, very difficult time, but we've got issues, for example, you know, employment. So I, I just think that it's it's nice to be able to see us really able to work together on advocacy efforts. And I, I really, again, want to thank you for, for uh, your testimony that you had um, at the State Assembly, but everything that you're doing, you're, you're just... You're doing a wonderful job, so never Thank leave. You very never much. leave your job. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, I have really, really nice partners, and I and I will say I have very much enjoyed. You know, we've created a nice relationship with Michael Searider at the Alliance yes. and with um, New York Disability Advocates to kind of hone in on those areas where we can jointly advocate. Um, we will have. Uh, I'm hoping soon another Rockefeller Institute of Government Economic Impact Statement coming out that doesn't just look at NYSID, but looks at the industry as a whole um, and the number of jobs created by the disability services industry as a whole in New York State and the services that are provided there and what that impact is. So Michael and I have been working on that for the last three, four months. That'll be great because I think things change so rapidly. The data changes uh, so mm -hmm. rapidly that I think we want to be able to keep showing that how important it I is and, and all the, the data that we have here that's updated as much as possible. So I, I want to um, end our, our main questions, Maureen. And, um, <laughs> you know, again, thank you so much for sharing 
all that you're doing, answering our questions, taking the time to be with us today. But I get to turn it over to Heather at this point, who who has the fun lightning round questions. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead, Heather. All right, Maureen. Well, uh, you don't know me as well as Karen does, but it is hard for me to stay as quiet as I do. Uh, <laughs> That's why I like her on here. (laughs) I don't have to do all the talking. (laughs) So these lightning round questions, I I always say to our guests, are a fun way to just kind of humanize you because the the first Mm -hmm. part of the interview is really, you know, kind of business first. And we have to remember, uh, to your point about authentic leadership, we are more than just what we show up at the office with. So, Mm -hmm. um, So first, I'd love to ask you, what is your favorite book or TV show to watch and why? So I don't watch a lot of TV, but we watch a ton of football. So we have a fantasy football league uh, with the family at our house. Um, I'm the only girl in my house. um, So you (laughs) kind of get stuck uh, into what they want to do. Um, But we're a big, huge football house. Awesome. That's That's so fun. What's your favorite team? Is it college or... Uh, so college, so I went to the University of Notre Dame. So okay. um, I'm a big Notre Dame football fan. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, Tampa Bay is my team in the fantasy league. So I have Tom Brady as my quarterback. I was going <laughs> to say, you, you really got a real stinker with that one, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't get over. He always looks younger every time oh, I see him, Tom Brady. I'm like, yeah, and the kids cow. joke with me. They're like, "Why are you drafting him? Like, he'll probably get injured." I said, "He hasn't gotten injured yet. I'm drafting him." Yeah, I would. I would play my odds on that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, how about what is your favorite place to visit in New York State? Lake George. Oh, so, me too. Um, it's me my too. favorite place, and we have fantastic family memories. Um, we rent a house for a week every year for summer vacation up there with the kids, and it's just a total unplug. Um, my favorite place. That's I totally awesome. agree. I love it. Love it up there. Such a beautiful part of the state. We're so blessed with so many different beautiful parts of New York State, too, with the topography. I just, to me, there's nowhere better than New York State. I'm biased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and final question, Maureen, who or what inspires you? So my family inspires me a lot um, because we work together a lot. Um, and in particular, Our youngest uh, son, Gabe, is an individual with a disability. So um, I was a parent advocate before I was a president and CEO of NYSED. Um, You know, my son uh, has worked through some some significant uh, medical hurdles, and uh, he is right now applying to college, which is a place we never thought we'd be at. so I'm feeling very blessed that he has that opportunity and that we have that opportunity to watch him succeed and go to the next place. He's been incredibly well served by some incredible institutions, one being the Center for Disability Services here in Albany, where he received services for most of his life, um, and then his medical team at Albany Medical Center. So um, uh, I'm inspired by uh, my family and in particularly our youngest son, Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so heartfelt. And, you know, as parents, we all want to see our children succeed, whether they have a disability or don't have a disability. I think that's something that's a unifying feeling uh, that we can all appreciate. And it's so meaningful that you took the time to share that sentiment. Thanks so much. 
Maureen, thank you for your time yes, today. Thank you. Thank you for your candor. Um, we probably could have talked to you all day long, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know that you have another marathon in you just yet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we hope you come back and talk with us when that new Rockefeller Institute study comes out. I would love I to would dig love into that. those numbers. Yeah, I'd love that. I'll get that over to you as soon as it's available. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, you have a nice day. Thank you, Maureen. You too. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Disclaimer, the views, ideas, and opinions expressed in this podcast are only those of the individuals involved and do not reflect the official policy or position of the Arco Nida Lewis chapter, the Arc New York, or any other agency, organization, employer, or company.